Well, good morning, Joy, at first. So good to see you this morning. Yeah, all right. Thank you up front. Appreciate that. Hey, uh, if it's your first time here, we're so glad that you joined us. I hope you had an amazing weekend. Hope you had an amazing weekend. Thanks for taking time out of your weekend to be with us. Uh, before we begin, uh, I just want to couple, uh, cover a few things, um, upcoming things that I think are important. Uh, this is the last talk in our current series. Um, I don't know about you, but this series, maybe not for you, but it's been really, really, really good for me. And um, I'm selfish, and so that's really what it's all about. It's all about making me feel good. And I hope that it's made, uh, giving you a better understanding of who God is. But coming up in the next few weeks, next week, uh, if you've been asking, how can I give, how can I serve, uh, we are creating a new partnership uh, with an organization called Love Moves Us. We're creating a partnership with an organization called Love Moves Us. And here's the thing. What they do is this. See, we, we, there is all this help when people adopt kids, right? But what happens after they adopt kids? Where is the help? And so Jason Benson, who's the founder of this organization, has created this so people can get training and help as they begin to foster and to adopt and to shape kids' lives into the image of Christ. It's a beautiful thing. He's going to be speaking next week about uh, love moves us as we begin to partner with them and we begin to help serve with them as well. Uh, over Thanksgiving, Pastor Jeannie is going to be giving us the message. We're looking forward to that. And then the first week in December, uh, the reason why we have so many people gone is they're all back helping the kids this morning. Uh, the kids will be bringing us the Christmas musical the first weekend in December. And then following that, we start a new series, a new series called A Not-So-Merry Christmas. Now... I know that sounds depressing, but let's be honest, right? Each of us have lost people in our lives. Uh, some of us don't have great relationships. And for many of us, Christmas is a remind, reminder of what we don't have. It's a reminder that it's actually not merry at all. And so we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be addressing that over the Christmas season leading up to Christmas. And we're looking forward to that. So there you go. You're caught in over the next few weeks. But if you've not been with us over the last eight weeks, uh, where have you been? Totally kidding. Uh, really kidding about that. Um, but we have been addressing, addressing many issues and mistruths that we have about God. See, you've been taught and I've been taught by people outside of church and inside of the church things about God that, quite frankly, aren't true. And then we begin to wonder, why does my relationship not make sense? Why does my relationship with others not make sense? And why can I not seem to grasp who God is? And it's because we've been taught poor theology and poor things about who God is. And so the, this whole series has been about reshaping our minds, reshaping our narratives, and reshaping who we are in the image of Christ. And so if you've missed it, you can go back online and check out all the talks for the last eight weeks, and we'll, it'll catch you up to today. I'm excited about today and uh, can't wait for it. So would you pray for me? Lord, we do give thanks for this time of worship. We give thanks for this time of teaching. I pray that you would be in our hearts and our minds and our souls as we begin to teach today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the details are a bit fuzzy, but the line lingers in our minds forever. Uh, I've been telling stories about my family over the last few weeks, so why not end it that way? Uh, my parents are great-grandparents, and I'm assuming if you're grandparents in here, you are great-grandparents as well. My, my parents love spending time with our kids. In fact, often they will take a whole week or sometimes two weeks out of the year to spend with our kids. The entire week. It's great. Janelle and I get to go off and do whatever. But there was a time when they didn't have all these grandkids. And they only had one grandkid named Gabe. And that was my nephew. He was three at the time. And it was during the Christmas season that we spend about a week with our family. And, and so he was there. And wherever Nana went, Gabe went. 
So if Nana goes to the store, Gabe goes to the store. If Nana's down in the laundry room, Gabe's down in the laundry room. Three years old, he's witty, smart, and funny. I mean, it's just, it's just great. We had finished our, our holiday meal, our Christmas meal, or whatever meal it was, and Gabe, who was by himself, really hated playing by himself. And so he came upstairs, and he said, Nana, would you come down, and would you play with me? And Nana said, yeah, I'll, I'll come down. Just give me one minute, you know, and... Um, so about 15 minutes go by, and Gabe comes back up again, and he says, Nana, would you please come play with me? And she said, just give me one more minute. And uh, so a third time, he comes up, and he says, this is the last time I'm going to ask, would you please play with me, Nana? And so my mom, I don't know if it was all the food or whatever she had eaten that day, or she was comatose or what, but it was like a massive struggle for her to get out of a chair. And my mom's been known to tip over from occasion to occasion, just kind of fun. It's just, you know, she's just, it's just funny. Uh, but she was taking forever, forever to get out of the chair. And Gabe, at three years old, leans over to my dad and says, Papa, Nana's not built for speed. Now, what's funny about that is if you've been in my family for any period of time, you would know that that is so true about my mom. She is not built for speed at all, at all. In fact, she does everything with precision, but it takes her a pretty moment to do those things with precision. When she says after lunch, I'm going to the store, we know that we'll expect her at dinner time. If she says, I'm going to go take a shower, usually two hours later, she's still picking up and putzing around the house. Uh, one of my favorites, she says, I'm going to bed. And an hour later, she's sleeping on the couch, you know. And what takes Janelle and my sister, Shelly, 45 minutes to do will take my mom four hours. And that's just her nature. That's just kind of who she is. She's not built for speed. And I know this to be true about you and, and true about me. People who don't have the need for a speed really annoy us. You, you've, been, you've been around these people, right? You went to the store, and you got in the checkout line, and somebody has a massive bill, and they pull out a bag full of change. And they're going to pay this entire bill by paying with change because they've saved it up for 15 years, and now they want to get rid of it. And they're counting penny by penny by penny, and you're like, oh my goodness, seriously. Right? You've, you've, you've been there. Or maybe you're driving, and there's somebody in front of you going 15 miles per hour and under the speed limit. And you're late for work or you're late for the train or you're late for the bus and you know how frustrating that can be. Or maybe you have been in, this is, happens all the time in our family, you've been in the car waiting on your spouse, waiting on a friend, or waiting on your kids who are searching for Legos, Lord knows why, but you're waiting on your kids to get in the car. And here's the thing I know about us. Not only do we have the need for speed, but we hate waiting. And the reason why we hate waiting is it slows us down and we feel like we can't keep up. The reason why we hate waiting is it slows us down and we feel internally like we can't keep up. And so here is what, what's true. Here's what we know. That many of us, this is the name of the game. Like in the words of Tom Cruise... And goose, like, we have a need, we have a need for speed in life. That's how we love it. That's how we like it. We love it fast and furious. And anytime somebody gets in our way and they make us, make us wait, we feel like we just aren't keeping up. We aren't keeping the current pace as everyone else. And it drives us crazy. But here's a question I want to pose to you. What if the nanas, what if the people who aren't built for speed in life, are the ones that we should be spending the most time with. 
what if they are the answer? What if they are the antidote to the current condition that plagues so many of us? And you're saying, what is the current condition? So glad you asked. We'll get to that in a second. But we're going to look at a story this morning written by a man named Luke. And what I love about Luke's story is that this story is unique to Luke. And Luke writes it because he understands. He understands that what you and I face is not a 21st century problem, but it is a 1st century problem as well. If you're not familiar with Luke, Luke was a physician, right? And, and I don't know if you know anything about physicians. Uh, if you're not a physician, it's hard to understand. But their hours and their work schedule is crazy. And so Luke devotes much of his life to taking care of the next patient, caring for the sick, and making bodies and people and their lives whole once again in his, in his society and in his neighborhood and in his community. And so you would know, if you were in Luke's shoes, if you were in Luke's shoes, he was consistently feeling the frantic. He was always running from patient to patient to patient. And he was always feeling like he was in a hurry because he knows when people are sick, time is of the essence. And so he gets it. He understands it. He knows it. But here's what Luke does, and I love this. Luke decides that he's going to stop with the hurried life of being a physician, and he decides that he's going to enter into this process of discovering who Jesus is. In fact, he stops his life as a physician, and he hears about this guy named Jesus. Now, Luke is a good doctor, right? He doesn't take people's word for, the, for it about who Jesus is, so he goes out on this long process to discover by talking to other people, talking to people who have been with Jesus about who this Jesus this guy is. And through the process of discovering that Jesus, Luke writes one of the most exquisite accounts we get of Jesus' life. It's fantastic. And so Luke writes this story to us today because he identifies us with us today. He knows what we're going through. He understands the pressure that you get. And he, knows your, he understands your frustration with waiting. So here's what he says. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home to him. Keep going. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. I want to stop here for just a second. I love the word that Luke uses. In our English, it's distracted. But in his language, it actually means to be anxious. It actually means to be anxious. And we, we get this, right? What causes anxiety in our lives? And I think, in this story, it's unmet expectations. That what causes anxiousness in our life is unmet expectations. Think about it, right? When we invite somebody over to our house, you're expecting them to come. But even still, you're a little anxious, you're a little nervous. You've got to clean the house, you've got to prepare your food. Imagine being in Martha's shoes, where people unexpectedly show up, and there is an expectation... That you will wait on me. That you will feed me. And you will take care of me. Imagine the pressure. Imagine the pressure in this moment of trying to meet unmet expectations. And here's what I know about unmet expectations. When you are faced with unmet expectations, you feel like you are behind. And when you are behind, you become obsessed with keeping up and getting ahead. And when you try to get ahead, what your life takes on is a posture of hurriedness. We begin to hurry. In fact, this is kind of who we are as Americans. In fact, a great economist says this about us. He says, we are a nation in love with speed. 
We drive fast. We eat fast. We even make love fast. And he goes on to say this. We are obsessed with breaking records and shortening time spans. We digest our lives. We condense our experiences. And he says, and we compress our thoughts. And we are surrounded by memos and commercials in life. He goes on to say this. While other cultures, I love this. While other cultures might believe haste makes waste. While haste makes waste, we are convinced. We are convinced that speed reflects alertness, power, and success. He says, Americans are always in a hurry. You been there? You feel like that? You know, it's so funny because hurriedness, what I like to call hurried sickness, is not something that we actually learn over time when we get into the workforce, but it's actually something that we learn from a, a small age. Think about this. Uh, the other day I was waiting in line um, at Walgreens for a prescription, and my son says from the back seat, drove me nuts, drives me crazy, he says these two words, I'm bored. I hate when people say, I mean hate, and that's a strong word. I hate when people say, I'm bored. When I worked with students, occasionally, not very often, I'd have students say, I'm bored. And you know what I would say? You know the problem with bored people? They're boring. That really went over well with them. You know why you're bored? Because you're boring. And I really didn't understand this, but as I was studying it for this week, boredom, boredom is a symptom of hurried sickness. Hurried sickness is this. Hurriedness is this. It is an inner attitude not necessarily caused by outside circumstances. And what I heard my son say, what I heard my son say was that there was an inner anxiousness about him because he wasn't doing something. Life was moving too slow for him. He needed a phone. He needed some entertainment. He needed some music. He needed to be doing something to keep up with the pace. Now, here's the result of hurried sickness for you and for me. Do you remember when you were a kid and you would sit in the back seat and you would look out the window of the car before it even started? And do you remember as you looked out the car, you could see like life like it was in HD. There was clarity. It was bright. It was beautiful. It was amazing. But as whoever was driving your car took off, right, things started to speed up for you. And as you would look out, you would begin to try to your eye, keep your eyes starting and you know, adjusting to each moment as it was passed by you. And the faster and the faster and the faster life came at you, or excuse me, as the faster you went in the car, the harder it was for you to keep up with it. And you remember this, right? Eventually, your eyes got so tired, it was easy for you just to lean back and go to sleep. And I think this is how life is for us. You see, the reason why life is less enjoyable... The reason why life is less enticing, the reason why you and I are so exhausted is because we are keeping current paces that are beyond our capacity and our capability. And for many of us, it's like riding in that car. Life starts to happen. We are in such a hurry that everything is no longer in HD, but it's actually this blurried mess, and we can no longer keep up with what we're doing. And, and any of us, many of us are like walking zombies. We are actually dead and we miss the beauty. We miss the amazing things of life that are going on around us because we are so hurried. Now, 
hurriedness is not, a frank, not only a frank issue for us, but it is a faith issue as well. Hurriedness is not just a frank issue for our lives, but it is a faith issue for many of us. In fact, listen to what Martha says in the story. She says, she came up to Jesus and she asked him, Lord, don't you care? I love that. Don't you understand? Don't you get it? Don't you know that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? He goes on to say, she goes on to say, please tell her to help me. The problem with Martha's statement right here, we'll get to that one in a minute. The problem with Martha's statement here is that her pace, her hurriedness is causing a faith issue. And here is the faith issue. The faith issue is that she is missing what God is doing right in front of her. The reason she can't understand the depth of what God is doing, the reason why she can't understand what her sister is doing, is because she's in a hurry. And God is wanting to do something in this moment that is deep and meaningful and impactful in life, but she's missing it because the pace that she's keeping is causing a faith issue for her. And here's what I know to be true about us. Here's what's true about you and me, is that many of us, many of us are keeping a pace. We are in such a hurry that we are missing the depth of what God is doing. The reason why you can't grasp God, the reason why the relationship doesn't make sense for you and for me, is because so often, so often, God is not on our schedule. You ever had to wait on God? You, you, ever, you ever ask God to do something for you, and then he doesn't show up, and you're like, <clears throat> excuse me? Any day would be great now, Lord. You've been there. And we have this pace, and we have this expectation that God would keep up with us. But here's the thing. It's not that God can't keep up. He just doesn't want to keep up. Because when he, when, he, when he starts to keep up with us, we actually begin to miss out on everything that God is wanting to do in our lives. And here's, here's what I know. God is wanting to do something deeper in your life, but we aren't ready to do what it takes to go deeper. You and I often are not ready to do what it takes to go deeper in our faith journey. And often it's because we are in a hurry. So, Jesus gives us the answer. It's pretty cool. He says this. He says, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. And I love this. He kind of retracts in just a second. He goes, wait, wait a minute. No, I don't actually mean a few things. He says, only one thing. Jesus made a mistake. It's kind of crazy. I, ooh, well, that was, I probably shouldn't have said that, but I just did. Anyway, Jesus retracts what he says in this moment. He had a human moment. He says, not a few things, but just one thing is necessary. Only one thing is needed. Now, I know that you're smart. You're asking me, wait, wait a minute. Where's this Mary lady you keep talking about? Where does she fit in the story? We'll get to that in a second. But what you're asking now is, what is the one thing? And what's so great about Luke's story What's so great about Luke's story is he understands what Jesus is about to say and what Mary is doing is so important to the life that we live in our understanding with God that he puts what Mary is doing in the center of the story. And in the center of that story, we so often just kind of read over it nonchalantly as though it was never there. But Luke wants to write it to say, listen, I have been there. I get it, what life is like to be hurried. In fact, you just hurried past one of the most important parts of this story. And so he puts it in the center so we will see what he wants us to understand about life when it comes to our faith 
and our issue of hurriedness, our current condition. And here, here is what Luke says. Mary has chosen what is better. And the reason she has chosen what is better is because early in there it says that he was, she was sitting at Jesus' feet and she was listening to what he had to say. He was, she was sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to what he had to say. And here's what I know. Sitting and listening, sitting and listening, not hurrying, not being anxious, anxious, positions us for presence. Sitting and listening, not being anxious, not being hurried, positions us for presence in life. And I think what Luke wants us to understand, and the reason why he tells us this story, and the reason why Jesus says just this one thing, is he's saying... You need to understand the power of presence. In our life, we, in our family, we use this phrase, um, you know, we, we are not gift givers. Um, and so often, we annoy people when we show up with no gifts and we say, hey, our presence is our present. Our presence is our presence to you. And I think this is what God wants us to understand. That the greatest gift you can give others in life, the greatest gift you can give yourself, when you sit down, when you begin to listen, and when you position yourself for presence, the greatest gift you can give yourself is actually being present in that moment. Because it's then life becomes more enjoyable, it becomes more enticing, And you are no longer exhausted. And you begin to see things in life that you have never noticed before when you are present in the present moment. Now, I'm human, just like you, contrary to popular belief. And I'm preaching to myself this morning because... Last week we had this amazing service, you know, a packed out service. People were getting baptized. We talked about God transforming lives. If you missed it, I'm sorry. It was an amazing service. And I was thinking to myself, surely somebody's life is going to be changed today. And I went to our administrator's office. I went to Debbie's office, and I pulled out the Connect cards. And I do this every week. I'm flipping through them. And I don't care what everybody else has written. I only care when people mark, I follow Jesus for the first time today. And I flip through those cards, you know, hurried, I want to find it, you know. And, and nobody, nobody marked that they had decided to follow Jesus. So I'm frustrated, and I stomp out of church, and I go home, and I sit down at the dinner table, and I'm thinking about conversations, and, and I'm a little frustrated. And, and uh, Janelle says, hey, why don't you tell Daddy what we talked about today? And... Um, she tells, she tells it, she says, you know, Miles was in the back during our baptisms today, and he was peering over the pew in the back, and he was asking, he was asking, what are those people doing? And Janelle said, well, these people have given their lives to Christ, they've asked Christ to live in them, and so what they do is they go under the water as a way of saying, we're putting to death the old life, and when we come out, we have a new life, we're new creations in Christ, it's an amazing thing. And Miles says, Miles says, I want Christ to live in me. Yeah. And so Janelle waits till I get home, because apparently I'm the only one that can walk him through the salvation process. And she goes, well, Dad, what does that look like? And I'm kind of thrown off guard for just a second. And I start by saying, well, son, um, we don't believe 
Uh, in fact, Jesus doesn't tell us that we have to pray some formulaic prayer. He simply says that we have to believe. And so I go through it and I say, do you believe that Jesus died for you? He says, yeah, I do. Do you believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead and that he has given you power over sin and he has given you life and that one day you will be raised to life after you die? He says, yeah, I do. And we start going through this, and he says, well, I want Jesus to live in me. And I said, well, do you believe that Jesus lives in you? He says, yes, I do. And I said, well, good, then it, there it is. And that's it. Jesus believes in you. And what was so hard, what was so frustrating to me is a minute after my son gives my life to the Lord, I'm already thinking about who I need to call. I'm thinking about the conversations, like I said, the conversations I had earlier, some of the statements that were made to me. I'm thinking about the doctor's appointment that I have to go to. And I'm thinking not about the fact that my son just gave his life to the Lord. I'm thinking about the next thing that we're doing because I was in a hurry. And so here I am sitting in the doctor's office. And my wife, my wife sends a text out to our family. And it says, several people were baptized at church. Miles was intrigued. We were towards the back of the sanctuary, and he was up on his tiptoes, peering over the heads in front of him. On the ride home, I explained to him all the symbolism behind it. Miles piped up, I want Jesus to live in me. And so on a rainy day, on a Sunday afternoon, Miles acknowledged Jesus' love, his sacrifice, and his resurrection for him. And I wanted to share this special moment with you. And it wasn't until I actually had to sit and slow down in the doctor's office. That the beauty, the clarity of what had just happened in my son's life became so real. This is the power of presence. Being present in the present moment. Here's what I need you to know today. I need you to be present in the process. I need you to be present in the process. We live in an age where we just want the product. We don't like the process. We just, want the, we just want the product immediately. And many of you see God that way. That when you decide to say yes to God, or maybe you're in a, in a phase where you're questioning God, or you're not really certain about God, you just expect Him to show up and give you everything that, everybody, you know, everything that people talk about and everything that God promises. Just like that. But I hate to tell you that's not how it works. In fact, I would encourage you to make a pickle of your faith. Anybody familiar with how to, to, to make a pickle? I, I'm not, but I do know that you have to take cucumbers, cut them up, make a brine, and you just don't dip them in the brine, right? You have to sit them in the jar, and they have to sit for six weeks before they become a pickle. And I think to appreciate the product, we have to be part of the process. To appreciate the final product, the thing that God wants to do in your life, we have to appreciate and be part of the process. And let me just tell you this. Don't jump out of the boat. I'm a hurried man. I have a pastor that is investing his time in me. We have a peer group. And, and, and one of the days that we met, he was telling the devotional, and I was really annoyed because I'd heard this story of Jesus before, probably like you when I'm telling stories about Jesus. I was a little annoyed because I already knew the story. He's telling this devotion. I'm like, can you just get this over with and let's get to the important stuff? Let's just get to the final point, would you? 
driving me crazy. And it's funny because he says, you know, Jesus is in the middle of the storm. I know the story, right? Right. Jesus wakes up and he calms the waters and da da da. You know, and 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 he says in the middle of the story. See, I'm waiting for the end. I'm ready for the end to come. He says in the middle of the story, he says, "Have you ever considered that Jesus knew he was going to get to the boat to the other side?" No, I've not considered that. He said, "Then why would you jump out in the middle of the boat ride?" See, when it comes to to moving this church where we want to be, I don't want the process. I just want the product. Let's get there. Let's get it done. Let's get it over. Let's get rolling. Let's get moving. I don't want the process. And and in the middle of this story, while I was waiting for the end, for him to give me the final punchline, he says it in the middle of the story. He says, don't jump out of the boat. God can't use you if you jump out of the boat. Let me just say this. If you're struggling in your faith relationship with Christ, if you're questioning who he is, if you're wanting to know more, if you feel like you're not growing and you're saying, where are you, God? Hurry up and get here. Let me just say it's a journey. It is a process. And one day you will get to the final product. I hate that language in church. But to appreciate what God has done in your life, you have to be part of the process. See, God is doing something in your life. He's moving in your life. And while you feel like you're in a hurry, when you feel like life is a hurry, I can tell you, you will miss out on what God is wanting to do in and through you. So here's what I need you to do. This is our final practice. I need you to slow down. You see, your soul, your heart, your soul is not used to speeding up. In fact, it can't function, it can't process the good things in life until you slow down. In fact, this is what I want you to do. Slowing down means ruthlessly ruthlessly eliminating hurry in your life. I want you to get rid of hurry. So here are a few practical practices. This week when, when, when you go to work or you have all an appointment or activity, instead of, instead of hurrying there and being late or being right on time, which if you have kids, you know it's really hard to be early, I want you to show up early and I just want you to take a few moments to breathe and I want you to look outside of your car and I want you to look at people. Listen, you know how God has a sense of humor? Just look at some of the people he made. They're pretty funny. They'll get that in a minute. But I want you just to to get there early and take time to breathe and look around you. Maybe you need to take time and simply just slow down in your house. Take more time at breakfast. Take a little bit more time at work when you're going through things. And if you have to work at a fast pace, be conscious. Be conscious of the anxiousness inside of you. Because you're simply trying to meet expectations. Right? Don't be in a hurry. Maybe this week you need to turn off your TV. Maybe you need to put down your phone, get rid of your social media for just one or two days. And I would encourage you to go on a walk or watch the sunset or even begin to journal what life would look like for you if you would just slow down. And maybe, maybe when you slow down, maybe God will become a little bit clearer. Maybe the God that is good and beautiful won't be a blur to you, but slowly and surely he will begin to make sense. That's my hope for you.
me pray for you this morning. Lord, we do give thanks for your goodness to us, for your grace to us. We thank you that you are a good and beautiful God. You are absolutely amazing. So, Lord, I pray this week that we would begin to slow down. We would begin to just bask in the glory and wonder and the goodness of who you are. That we would acknowledge that our world, although messed up, still has a lot of beauty to take in. There are so many good things that happen around us from day to day. And I pray that we would learn to be present in the present moment. That we would learn that our presence is our present. Not only to others, but to us as well. It is the gift of life. So teach us faithful presence this day. In Jesus' name we pray.